giant hail and low-topped supercells. Welcome to Way Over Our Heads. It's a weather and climate podcast. I'm Jim Dubois. With me is Kenny Blumenfeld. He's a climatologist. Kenny, how are you doing? I'm getting snacked on by the mosquitoes. <sighs> what the heck is... You know, we, we go... This is our favorite location right by the banks of Minnehaha Creek in South Minneapolis. We've been out here numerous times throughout the uh, spring and summer, and this is the first time we're being devoured by mosquitoes. But I mean, I'm looking at our, the site we've chosen and it's looking good you know it's sort of good for nature it's really taken over here got the nice uh marsh grasses and uh a lot of vegetation and there's a bunch of wet soil there so it's not really a shocker that we have yeah. some skeeters it's a good but, breeding ground but i would have thought a crisp clear day i guess we don't have winds yeah that's kind of the one thing we're missing it's been busy once again another crazy severe weather last few days yeah, we had, over we the had, weekend. Well, we had a good weekend. Yeah. I, I'll have to say that for those listening during this week, wow, what what a fine, fine meteorological week it is. I mean, look <laughs> at the blue skies. It's marvelous. We're pinning the meter on the glory index. You can't get right. better days than this. We were, you know, temperatures have been in the mid-70s during the day and in the upper 50s or low 60s at night. There's no rain, so that's pretty nice. Right. But before we got there, yeah, it was another uh, another busy weekend, wasn't it? Well, let's talk first of all about Friday night. Some of the best displays of lightning I've seen in a long, long oh, time. Yeah. It was something else. So, and you got to see the lightning? Got to see the lightning, got some great video of it. Uh, it was pretty impressive. Well, what do you think made it so special in terms of visibility? and? and Part your... of it was, okay, so I was looking eastbound from my location in South Minneapolis, not far from where we're recording, and a great view of cumulonimbus clouds. A lot of lights flashing, what my grandmother used to refer as heat lightning, yeah. when you couldn't actually see. Poor grandma yes. was so wrong. It was, you know, all those old uh, those yeah. old weather pieces of lore. But the most incredible sight was sort a of lot like of the cloud to it, cloud. Sort of like if you called it light lightning or, um, <laughs> exactly. or sound lightning or, uh, I don't know, color lightning. Right, like right. These are all things. There's always heat in the atmosphere. Right. Um, Nothing to do I, with heat. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so uh, did and you. So you had a good show of lightning. Did you yep. see anything before the light show began? Did you see the clouds before that? Some of them, yes. I got out rather late, and uh, there was a lot of cloud to cloud lightning that I caught in the video, and the clouds were nicely illuminated because you were getting some light from the setting sun out to the west. Yeah. That sort of uh, lit up the cumulonimbus that were off in Wisconsin at that time. Yeah. So you know what I think made it special? What was that, Kenny? Uh, it was that you had a clear view right into the middle of the storm. Think of normally when you see lightning. What's the sky look like? It's cloudy. Right. Usually, when you see lightning, there's a veil of clouds, and but these were supercell thunderstorms. They developed on, so there were really two batches, too. So we can love all of Minnesota, and we're talking about something that we were able to witness in the Twin Cities area, but in northern Minnesota, the first storms actually blew up just kind of north and west of Cook, kind of, you know, west and north of Hibbing and the main Iron Range cities. And these were also super self-thunderstorms, and the radar was indicating tennis ball size hail. Now, 
Listeners have probably heard us talk about supercell thunderstorms and maybe have read about them or have seen a, some sort of cable news show on tornadoes where they talk about supercells, but it's a really special kind of storm. In the best conditions, they sort of self-isolate. So the thunderstorms start to develop and they start putting distance between each other. And, and of course, the air is rushing in to feed the thunderstorm, and these things start to rotate, and they kind of pull in all of the available clouds into kind of uh, the, the general vicinity of the storm itself. So if you happen to be 10 miles away, in ideal conditions, I mean, there are different versions of supercell thunderstorms that can put out a lot of clouds, but in ideal conditions, you get you have almost clear skies outside of the storm, so you can see in from only, you know, 10 miles away. So as these storms uh, were forming in northern Minnesota, people were getting these great views of these big anvils that were totally isolated and big puffy updrafts with nice crisp edges. Uh, and then they started developing in the St. Cloud area too. And these are the ones that ended up moving near or over the northern Twin Cities suburbs uh, and then into Wisconsin. And as the sun went down, we were looking right into the, the main updraft of the thunderstorm with no other low-level clouds to kind of spread the lightning, to diffuse the lightning. It was just a clear shot. So if you could look into these... and. I, what was so neat to me wasn't actually being able to see the lightning, as beautiful as that was. It was walking around and seeing people sitting on their steps and on their sidewalks and on their porches just watching. Oh, yeah. It was a great show. Yeah, it mean, really was. I mean, nothing makes a weather guy as excited as uh, <laughs> other people loving Enjoying the weather. Enjoying the weather. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it was beautiful. Yeah. I love that. So what were the main features of the severe storms on Friday? Was it primarily hail? Yeah, it was mostly hail. There was some wind damage in kind of Chisago and Washington counties and then also up in kind of near the North Shore. Though, you know, that was sort of your standard. A few trees go down, you had some power lines down, kind of typical stuff. But before that, it was the hail. It looked like uh, we don't have as many people in northeast Minnesota, so it's harder to confirm. But in the Cook area, south of Cook, uh, it looked like there may have been tennis ball-sized hail. And that was confirmed in St. Cloud and in uh, even some of the northern suburbs, tennis ball-sized hail into Shoreview, uh, even larger, some three-inch hail reports. The largest was a... (laughs) grapefruit-sized hail reported uh, by a storm chaser near, I believe it was near Clear Lake. So so very large hail. I didn't hear a lot about damage, and it could be that, you know, we got really lucky. But if, obviously, if at kind of at ping-pong ball size, that's where you really start seeing damage to vehicles and to roofs, especially if it's wind-driven. But even if there's not a lot of wind... Once you're up in the tennis ball range, that's you're breaking things. Yeah, no kidding. So, uh, so hopefully not too much damage from that. But yeah, the main feature was the hail, the fact that you could view the structure of the storm, which right. was great, and then the lightning display once the once the sun went down. Well, we evening. saw a lot of the Mamatis clouds before the big show. We were actually okay. heading over to St. Paul, the Highland Park area, and looked up to the north and could see a lot of Mamatis. And I remember, I hearkened back to my childhood days and remembered how 
poorly understood Mamata's clouds were in the mid-1960s. I remember cloud charts saying things like seldom seen low to middle clouds associated with severe thunderstorms, large hail, damaging wind tornadoes, which is all true, but they seemed in those days more focused on the Mamata's clouds themselves as potentially the area from which the tornado might emerge. Yeah, you could even find old drawings uh, of, you know, tornadoes jumping out of Mamata's clouds. And I, I, I guess I understand it. Now we know it to be basically the bottom of the top of the thunderstorm. So if you think of that anvil and uh, that sort of classical anvil shape, if you get under it at just the right place, usually as the st main storm towers away from you, but you're kind of still under the anvil, that's when you would see the Mamata's clouds. There's a little bit of mystery with it, too. Like, why is it that we always see them in the evening? They're less, is it that they're less visible Interesting. during the day? and that they just get illuminated better? Or is there something about the morphology of these? There, there is a lot of, um, there was a review article a few years ago trying to describe how Mamata's clouds form because they're not really well known. They sort of violate some of the laws of atmospheric physics. You know, clouds that build downward is not right. something that's common. And so, uh, so there's a little bit of mystery surrounding those yet, uh, which is kind of nice. But I, I would say that in general, you will see them after a pretty major storm, it doesn't have to have had a tornado, but it's usually a pretty significant storm Got it. Um, once it's passed. And every once in a while, you'll even see them uh, as, one, as one of those storms is advancing in. Uh, it's the same thing. If you can see under the anvil, you might, uh, you might see Mamata's cloud. So we were really lucky from a visual standpoint. We've had a lot of visual spectacle this summer. Yes, a lot of uh, photogenic storms. Yeah, sure. We had the, the nice rainbow Mamata's duo uh, what, a couple weeks earlier. And there's just been a lot of good distant storms. And, and these storms uh, on Friday, so it's the second Friday in a row with pretty potent storms. Right. Uh, these were also 50,000 feet high, which is quite tall. Uh, 25 to 30,000 feet is kind of all you need for a, a cumulonimbus cloud to become a thunderstorm. And uh, so people were reporting being able to see these 150 miles to the west. So they're, you know, really wow. far away you can see these clouds. Pretty neat. Okay, so that was Friday, July 26th, Saturday the 27th. Gorgeous. Nice, hot day. Gorgeous. Yes, uneventful. Yeah? Did you do anything? Yeah, I actually hosted the Radio K picnic in our ah, backyard. You have it's some Radio association K, with Radio a K. A long yeah. association yeah. Of, uh, at Radio K at the University of Minnesota. So we had alumni. It was actually the Alumni Association's annual picnic. A lot of current students. Uh, you dropped by, Kenny. It was great to see you. Wait, Radio K has its own <laughs> alumni association. It does. Well, it's been around a long time. It uh, dates back, I think, the radio station... Well, if you really want to go back to about 1912, the radio station broadcast radio telegraphy. And oh they would broadcast gopher football scores and farm market reports by radio telegraphy. But voice was finally added, audio was added uh, in 1922. So from what I understand, Radio K is the oldest continuously operating radio station in the state of Minnesota, both wow. commercial and non-commercial. It holds neat. that distinction. So it was so a good day long, to long have, story. It was a good day to have a outdoor gathering. It, it was, was a nice. perfect day, Kenny. Yeah. I got to the beach a little bit that day too. So yeah. it was a real nice day, sunny, and then, you know, everything kind of fell apart on Sunday. Right. Well, Sunday must have been a pretty tough day to 
predict from a weather standpoint, I would think, oh. because there were a lot of variables. It seemed like there was a potential for severe weather, and that did ultimately manifest itself. But it started out, you know, rainy and, yeah. yeah so Not it, quite the way we would have thought, too. Right. So we're talking about Sunday, that was July the 28th. Right. And, uh, yeah, it was not uh, exactly what we thought. So just so people know what we're talking about, we ended up with four tornadoes in Minnesota confirmed so far by the Weather Service in Chanhassen. I think that's all we're going to get. There were a couple more in Wisconsin. And these are generally in, rated... EF0, EF1. Now, what's interesting is in the morning, it looked pretty clear that there could be tornadoes, but it also looked clear that if there were going to be tornadoes, it was going to be because we got some clearing, and as the humidity built, we'd have enough instability. We never got that clearing. The areas that were hit by tornadoes were cloudy and rainy all day long. There were temperatures didn't get out of the 70s, which is usually a no-no. Right. Usually you get tornadoes when the temperatures go into the 80s. 70s, you can do it. But in the middle of the summer, you know, usually a day has to kind of overperform with respect to what's a typical, you know, high temperature as right. opposed to underperform. But this unusual situation, too, Jim, if you picture a radar depicting, you know, the kinds of storms that would have tornadoes. What do you picture? These look like a lot of discrete little pockets. Well, but what, and and as you picture the storms that are producing tornadoes. Well, they're rotating, so of course, yeah, the mesocyclone. Sure, but how about the sort of brightness on the Oh, they're very bright. You might see purple and uh, red red and, and, yeah, Yeah, exactly. You know, usually, just so so listeners get a little tutorial, it it would be the the more isolated, kind of round-looking storms. They're sort of round-looking and isolated, and let's say about the size of Lake Mille Lacs. That's kind of a good, that's about the size of a typical supercell thunderstorm. They might be a little smaller, they might be a little larger, but that's kind of a good, kind of a good gauge. And And they tend to be very big in terms of the height of the cloud and very intense. And so big, bright, maybe purple, as you say, depending on what radar site you're using. Right. Uh, sometimes, as you mentioned, they also are these sort of solid or slightly broken lines where pieces of the storm break off and start rotating. Uh, and almost never, <laughs> almost never do you see kind of a shield of greens and a little bit of yellows or, you know, indicating basically moderate rain with a little bit of heavy rain, you almost never see tornadoes drop out of that. But what happened was little bits of those, I wouldn't even call them cells, but little cells within that rain area kind of began to intensify. They were pretty small. So instead of being the size of Lake Mille Lacs, they were more like the size of, say, Minnetonka. These little, almost sliver-like cells developing within this larger area of what we call stratiform precipitation under a very thick, solid, low cloud deck. And these didn't have any lightning or thunder. The tops were generally only 20 to 25,000 feet, so they weren't even proper thunderstorms. But that mass of precipitation had already acquired a little bit of rotation. It was one of these mesoscale convective vortices, so it was left over from other activity. There was a little bit of rotation, and the temperature and dew point were so close to each other that it was very easy to get condensation pretty low to the ground. So you have these low cloud bases, and you know the low cloud bases would start rotating as you'd get a little bit of upward motion. It just didn't take much. So they weren't even typical low-top supercells, but I think the weather service is comfortable saying that that's 
that's kind of what they were. They were these very shallow, rotating weather, small weather systems that had such low cloud bases that it was fairly easy to get upward moving air to um, connect the cloud to the ground. And then you had these tornadoes that, you know, if you looked at the video, do you see the video or the pictures did, of the tornadoes? Yes. There were a lot of storm chasers who knew exactly what was going to happen and were in the right place. And uh, there's some great video, and these looked like big, you know, planes-style tornadoes. Some of them, uh, the Weather Service confirmed path widths of up to a quarter mile wide, which is pretty good. I mean, that's uh, that's the same width that tornadoes rated much higher on the damage scale would sometimes acquire. So, uh, yeah, they, they looked like real tornadoes from the ground, and they did damage. There was some tree damage, a little bit of structural damage. Um, again, they were all EF0, EF1 tornadoes, but the environment in which they formed was unusual. And for listeners who've been here for a while, the only thing we could really think of that was similar was uh, it was mid-August of 2009 when a uh, pretty small tornado kind of went right along I-35W in Minneapolis, kind of Portland Avenue. It did a lot of tree damage and some roof damage. And then there were a few other tornadoes uh, from a similar type situation that day. But it was the same kind of thing where we had temperatures in the 70s and steady rain and these tornadoes sort of emerged from that environment. But it's not common at all. And the majority of our documented tornadoes are not from that type of situation. Well, I assume things will quiet down for the remainder of this week. Yeah, it looks that way. Although, you know, the it had we've got these... The first half of the week is just spectacular. We start building the heat and humidity a bit, uh, Thursday and especially Friday and into the weekend. And once that happens, then you have to throw the thunderstorm wild card in there because it looks like dew points will get back into the upper 60s by the weekend and the temperatures probably into the mid 80s. And if there is enough instability that you, you do trigger one of those mesoscale convective systems, then that can wipe out a whole day as we've seen a few times this summer. Right. So it looks like a mostly warm and humid weekend, not hot, not oppressive, and there's no smoking gun signal for a major severe weather outbreak. But because it's gonna, we're going to have humidity building in the region, I, don't know, I, I would expect the chances at least for some thunderstorms. Still a great weekend to be up at a cabin if you happen to have one or near an area lake, which is what I'm going to do. How about you? You got plans? You know, right now for this weekend, uh, hopefully enjoy some nice weather up near Minong, Wisconsin at oh. a friend's cabin. Oh, very and nice. And we'll be up there Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Well, if you're in Wisconsin, you have to drink an old-fashioned. Ah, and there are supper clubs in the yeah, vicinity of Minong. Yeah, you got to hit a supper club and you have so. to drink an old-fashioned, <laughs> unless, you know, that's not the kind of thing you want to do. I, you could have, I mean, I know people in Wisconsin really drink beer, but A, kind of gross, and then B... It's Wisconsin. Their beer's not that good. <laughs> I'm sure some Wisconsinites <laughs> would take issue with yes, that. Yes, I know. That's exactly why I said it. Their supper clubs Stirring are Stirring the pot. Yeah, Stirring their supper the pot. clubs are great, and I just say stick to old fashions. You guys do that really well. <laughs> All right. Well, Kenny, is always great talking to you. We'll look forward to enjoying a few more days here uh, with the Glory Index high and keep an eye out for some thunderstorms perhaps over the weekend. Excellent. Well, we'll talk to you next time, Jim. Thank you. Sounds good, Kenny. Take care. This is Way Over Our Heads, a weather and climate podcast. I'm Jim Dubois. Kenny Blumenfeld's climatologist. We'll see you again next time.